When I was a kid, never had to worry about what I did. But I'm a man now, what's the plan now? Gotta move on, those days are gone now. Take me back. Mike Young, stories that need to be told. Man, what story doesn't need to be told is the question. What story does not need to be told? Tried texting Bob Saget, my good buddy, to see if he wanted to talk about uh, his new play, Hand to God. He's in New York right now on Broadway. Pretty amazing feat. But my text messages aren't really working. But they are going through to random chicks. (laughs) (laughs) So for some reason, Saget's not getting my shit. But random girl who's a cheerleader for the Seahawks does want to know what I'm doing later. Seahawks cheerleader? Where'd you meet her? I'm going to just tell her, goal at 8.30. Even though accidentally I typed 8.39. (laughs) <laughs> but I like that specificity. Yeah, I think she will too. I think she'll like it. Fun night last night, man. Let's recap. Let's recap. Got to see Mike D being interviewed by Mike Rap. It was Mike Rap, Mike D. I asked a question. It was very interesting, man. Mike D, legend. You know, humble dude. Super humble. You know, just that Beastie Boys. It was heavy, man, listening to him talk about uh, MCA's passing and what it meant. Because that's not one of those groups that's like, you know, Journey, where you lose the lead singer for some reason. Now you replace him with an Asian karaoke singer. Right. It's the fucking Beastie Boys. You know what I mean? Like, you, there is no one that can just come in with that type of flair and flavor and brilliance and spit rhymes and flow with those dudes. They were three best friends from the same area. It was really heavy, and it's it was cool for me because I don't really talk about it much, but, like, as a kid growing up, you know, loving hip-hop in Detroit, I'm thinking to myself, in my dreamiest of dream fucking brains, <laughs> I am going to be in the Beastie Boys. Oh, really? Like, I'm going to be. They don't know that they're going to get a fourth member, and he's going to be from Detroit, and he's never have gonna met, going to have met them, but Mike Young is going to be the fourth Beastie. And that was like, I dream hard about that. That was my shit. I love the Beasties. Well, it's never too late, Mike. It's not. I'll go do a Beastie cover band and be happy for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll go home and shave right now and start calling up people who are, I'll do weddings. Yeah. You know what I mean? Call your cousins. I'll do a bar mitzvah. <laughs> I know a lot of their lyrics. You know? I, I'm I'm a hip hop head. It's so funny, man. It's like... New York and L.A., they, people don't talk about the other place. Like, you know, you ever heard of Eminem? He's kind of from my neighborhood. You know, we love rap, too. <laughs> you know? What was your favorite part about last night? I liked the whole setup. I liked that Mike had his big leather chair and Mike D had his chair, and it was like two kings going at it, just talking it through. I liked the style. I liked the casualness of it. I liked that it was like a dope, clean place. I like that the crowd. I like Mike's crowd. You know, like I like they're like hip hop heads that are like smart people. You know what I mean? It's not like a meathead crowd. You no. know, there were some straight up nerd dudes asking rate like nerd right. hip hop nerds. Like yeah. they took it to the next level. But I just liked I liked the live forum. You know, Mike 
you know, you put some caffeine in Rappaport, and he's going, you know, he doesn't stop talking. Oh, man, and you missed out on the spread in the green room. You would have loved this spread. Well, no, I did. I got into the green room. I saw the end of the spread, the of the which spread. still made me happy because you had that brie cheese, and you had that salami, so that good much. salami. Oh, so I was yeah. proteined out when you saw me. Oh, man, and uh, just an open bar in the back and gift uh, bags for us. It was it was just a really nice uh, event overall, and uh it it really was special, but how about there were some people in the crowd who uh, they were like trying to answer the questions. It was like yeah, like you mean like the dudes that were like saying the answer out loud. What was that about? That's about narcissistic personality disorder and a little bit of mental twisted illness. That's what that's about. There were some fucked up people in there because I know what you're talking about. Because when he asked Mike D what what his favorite album was or whatever it was, Homeboy shouted it out like it's like oh, relax, bro. He's not asking you. Yeah. This ain't a fucking forum for you. There's a moment where you're going to be able to go to the mic and ask your question, but relax. And, let, let Mike D talk. Yeah, and he was so cool about it, too, because he agreed with what people were saying. I mean, he was very collaborative. I thought him and Rappaport had just, like, a, a super good chemistry together. Like, they played off each other really well, and... Uh, no it, doubt. It was it was really a it's night. a special moment for Rappaport. You know, it, he's obviously known him, so it must have been cool coming up in in New York. Like he must, they must have bumped into each other no. throughout the years. Never, they, they never met, but they knew about each other. Oh, that's interesting. So uh, Mike was a little late to the proceedings, a little bit, a couple minutes late. Mike D? No, Mike Young was a little me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was late. <laughs> Yo, it was a triple Mike night, so I was a little late. Yeah, but well, they talked about that in the like very very beginning because like. <laughs> And Mike D said that he had heard about Rappaport's hoop game from because he was in another high school. I heard that. <laughs> Did you? I was there for that. <laughs> I was stunned and in disbelief. <laughs> and I had the thought because I've played basketball with Rappaport. Me and too. he can ball. He yeah. can ball. Yeah. But if you're telling me dudes were worried about Rappaport's <laughs> game, I'm fucking shocked. I think he said like sixth grade. Too. It had to be sixth grade because Rappaport was probably 5'11 <laughs> in sixth grade. And I could see him having like a flat-footed jumper. And I could see him being big body strong. So he probably was way ahead of his time size-wise as a kid. That I could see. But you start to, you're telling me people in fucking Brooklyn were here were worried about Rappaport's game. We gotta get Rappaport out of here and talk about that. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, I consider myself it, a solid athlete, but no one was ever worried about my game. It was so good. Do you remember the question that you asked? Yeah, I asked Mike D. I said, "What was the moment where you knew everything had changed for the Beasties? Like, what was that? What was that transitional moment when you knew we're stars now and our traje our trajectory is about to take off?" And he said it was the song, Hold It Now. Hmm. Hold It Now. And then he started, and I got like nervous because uh, I just ran away from the mic. <laughs> Which is so unlike you. I've never seen you run away from a mic. Because everybody's style was ask the question and walk away for the answer. <laughs> so it was like, I wasn't really, I've never really asked a question uh, uh, at a mic before. I be know, honest. I know, no, it was perfect timing for you too because like it was just, th there was questions throughout the Q&A portion. This was after Rapport had his questions, but there was like, uh, like a four second lull hesitation where people were like looking around like who's gonna ask the next question and you were like I, I, I just lo looked at you and it was like go up go Hell on yeah. and you did and it was actually a dope question that did was you a, like it yeah that, it was I, that, I thought that got a great response I think it's gonna be a great uh, part of the episode for yeah. sure yeah I mean it was it was interesting because he said after hold it now 
I think what he meant was really like money started rolling in. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because he was talking about how Eric B and Rakim, after their money started rolling in, they started showing up in the neighborhood with a Rolls Royce. Uh, and they never rolled a Royce. And they'd never seen shit like that before. Right. So everyone they knew that was getting paid was getting Jeep Wranglers. And <laughs> right, here right. comes Rakim in a fucking Rolls Royce. So I think what Mike D was saying was, yo, they could start to afford and he was probably they were probably getting publishing checks and they were starting to get live money. But I mean, you know, he's in, he's iconic. You know what I mean? That's Mike D from the Beastie Boys talking to Michael Rappaport. Those are two New York staples, you know, meeting for the first time. And I could I got to be a cool fly on the wall, you know. Just, Me too. Yeah. Just sipping my good job, Jordy. You fucking put that together, bro. Thank you. You know, Jordan is like a little silent assassin. I mean, he sounds quiet and he is quiet, but but you'll be hearing a lot more from Jordan. He uh he he puts shit together. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Somebody was asking me about you the other day. Who? Who was it? And they were like, well, what about your boy Jordan? Like, what could he do? Like, what does he do? I was like, what could he do? If you tell Jordan that you need an outline done by tomorrow at four o'clock, you'll have a, you'll have an annoying outline. You'll have a <laughs> fucking overwritten, annoying outline. And I think you have some form of like study habit or I don't know if it's Asperger's. I don't know what the fuck you got going on. But you, when you lock in to focus, you can, you do have amazing focus. Sometimes I will say you will overwrite and overdo it. And maybe even you've taken off in the wrong directions at times. That's fine. You know what I mean? But your focus is laser. And when it gets on the right path, you're going to be killing it. I'm not afraid to swing and miss ever. No, you're not. And that's, that's great. Fuck yeah. I'll go to two strikes in the count anytime. I don't think I'm going to strike out. Yeah. Like I Yeah, like I'll be real with you right now. I, I like you know, I'm I got a couple I got a new movie that's I'm about to get signed on for this New York gangster shit. These guys are flying in tomorrow. You know, I want to get that outline done. Cool. And on that on that Bolivian shit that I'm getting they're talking to me about paying for, what I want you to do and I know you've been hesitant because the money hasn't rolled in from the from the producers yet. But I do believe it's going to. Mm-hmm. So I think it would behoove you behoove me. to, if you have the time, which you're busy too, but to truly, if you want to get paid for real on that, you should start to craft an outline on that. If, sure. if you see the story, I would, because I could use your outline to give it to Katarina to ah. say, speed up the money process because I don't physically have time What's that? right now. Okay, so I don't have time. When do you anticipate speaking to her again? Any, like, I could speak to her right now. I could speak hmm. anytime. Like she said, yes, Mike, the deal's going through. We're definitely going to do this. She's excited, you know. But I like to be on the other side, going great, be excited. But I'm not in the business of just taking people's money. I want to have our outline because as of now, we got great stories in that in that world. But I'm not sure yet what our beginning, middle, and end of this movie is. So if you think because you went there that you have a grip on it and you have a better grip on it, I would I would take the advice of put the work in for $0 at this moment over the next few days and just wait. And when she sends the money, which I guarantee she will, I'll be stunned if she doesn't, then I just throw you a fat check or whatever. But it's one of those things where I believe money follows and it doesn't lead. And I and you you don't have to do it, but I'm just saying if you wanted to do that, it would probably be smart so that we're ahead of the game on that Bolivian story. Well, I'll say just off the top, and and, and just so listeners know, I'm, what I'm not talking, they're, they're probably like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" 
Uh, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a writer, director, I'm doing a couple movies and I've got, I got a phone call recently to, uh, I can't say too much about it, but there's a situation in Bolivia that a friend of mine is connected to and she is a young attorney and she has the inside, inside scoop on an amazing story. So she called me to talk about writing it and the people that are involved, the real people that it's based on. They were going to New York for a convention that's that was about Bolivia, situations in Bolivia, and it was a kind of like a, a, a ticky-tack situation where you kind of had to walk lightly. So I sent Jordan to New York to do some research and to meet all these people, and he killed it. And he came back with dope interviews with the people, with their stories all laid out. And that's, you know, after I do this New York 1970s mafia movie that I'm going to start uh, in a week, I'd like that to be the next project because I think it's got some compelling shit. But just like everyone in the world thinks they got a fucking story, you don't have shit until you have your beginning, a middle, and a true end. So we got to figure out what this ending is. And I'm saying to Jordan that I'm going to give you the dough from these people you know, a good little check, you know, and I think it'd be smart if you, if you wanted to, to just get in just the beats down. You're not going to write the screenplay cause it's just not your world to write. You don't have time and it's just not, I, I just don't see you doing that, but I think it would get a, I'd like to be ahead of the game, you know? So I'm just putting that in your court. If you want to have an outline or not, a, not even a crazy outline to where you drain your brain. Literally you could loosely beat it out. And just think if you know where, where it's ending, which is kind of like I like what we had talked about ending at that convention to where the boss, I don't want to say who it is, but like the guy from Bolivia comes here and thinks he's getting money in America and he walks out empty handed. It could be a powerful ending, you know, something like that, just so you know where the characters are going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that I could have it done uh, by Monday at the latest, uh, tomorrow at the earliest, so some sometime between then. Well, look at that. <laughs> I mean, have it by Monday then. Yeah, I could. I could do that. Um, have it by Monday. Don't kill yourself. Relax. Just literally beat it out simply, and don't even beat it out. Don't try to structure it, structure it in, in a non-linear fashion and don't try to write the whole movie, but just get the important points down so that when I go back to her and she goes, well, Mike, are we ready? I can go, yeah, we're ready. Here's what this story is. Because we keep ping-ponging back and forth, and it's there's a lot of so much fucking information, but I want to simplify it. It's really all about just uh, establishing uh, what the key moments in these people's lives were and are currently. Um What's so amazing about this story is that it spans, uh, I'd say, 20 to 25 years of just so much, uh, the highs and lows of business and government and corruption in this country that really is a gateway to the rest of the world. I think that it's really important to take these characters and really just say these are the most important moments of what happened in in their stories and i know this what is how this guy started his business started his life was devastated by the corruption got crushed in his darkest hour and came out on top 
and there's three people that that happened to it's, and we need to weave that in it's i mean it's heavy shit it's a it's we could be kidnapped from this movie it's real life oceans 11 is how it ended up working out towards the end because it was like this ensemble came together and they had never met these people but they didn't pull off a robbery no but they took a stand they took a stand for something that day, and it was it was incredible to watch. I mean, these are some of the most strong-willed people I've ever been around. I saw these guys in the interview, and it always impresses me to see human beings that are willing to put their life on the line and take a stand like that. It's like, those are the motherfuckers that 100% believe in God. Like, they believe that they are going to a better place, and they're all good. I'm a bitch. I have full belief, but I don't have in me... I will kill a motherfucker for my family, for my loved ones, for, you know, absolutely. But like when it comes to like things on the earth and political things, I don't have the like run over me and shoot me because I'm taking a stand. It's not, I don't have, I I don't know what I feel that strongly about politically, but my life was also not flipped upside down like theirs was. Well, you know, but, but you also provide the lens by which to tell their story so it's equally as important they're the ones yeah, who are in front of the camera you're the one who's behind the camera at the at the desk and i know that you're going to crush this story and i i definitely want to to make this happen and i've wanted to make it happen because this is a story that needs to be told and doing it on the podcast it it doesn't do it enough justice this is a, a major motion picture played by uh, award-winning actors absolutely who some of which sean penn are already in the mix of the story they know Involved. the story intricately by the way katarina has a cousin did you know this who's like the head of universal movie like he's like she is she's these mexican these rich mexican people there's like a whole thing out there they're like very well connected but no one ever talks about it right she's like by the way this is my cousin i look at him he's in fucking variety he's like the uh, uh, he's either like the president of marketing for universal ah. or he like decides where the money goes cool they're running banking universal is th- this year they're having the biggest year in the history of movies while people are saying i don't know what's going to happen to the future of movies and feature films universal is saying what yeah the biggest yeah let's go call let's go get scott stuber and go to lunch again so we could sell another tv show oh man he's a baller oh he's a baller and did you see that movie that's coming out uh about the miners and it's so funny that every idea that doug allen ever put out into the entourage universe became or is going to become a movie the uh 33 hours is that what it's called something like that um about the miners oh the miners that got trapped right for 33 hours yeah right right why well, didn't did doug do a thing on entourage about those yeah, miners yeah that was the story that uh johnny drama uh that, that he was gonna get to star in and then uh and they wanted to make it into a tv movie initially it was uh vinnie chase was supposed to uh get that role and they were gonna make it into a major motion picture but he didn't want to take it from johnny so Johnny uh, ends up getting to do the TV movie. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, I do remember. Yeah, that. it was it was it was in the last season. Uh, it's let's call Doug. Go ahead. Let's call Doug Allen, creator of Entourage. Okay, I'm gonna call Doug, who's a good friend of mine, and we're doing something together. So I gotta figure out how to make a phone call here. Hold on. We're here, and uh, oh. Mike's dialing. So we're here at uh, CBS Radio. Play oh. dot it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. All right, keep going. It's okay. I didn't do it. We're here at uh, 
play.it slash stories that need to be told by Mike Young. We got the logo coming up. It's being worked on by uh, a really good, uh, cool team. Don't say the last digits out loud. <laughs> Uh-oh. I think I did it. Let's see if Doug's around. Doug is going to produce a TV show for me called Single Mike. Let's see if I can get him on the phone. He's busy. I wonder what the caller ID says. Not his name. No, for... For him. Just Doug. No, I... Oh, coming from me? Yeah. Single Mike. No, but it's, aren't you calling from CBS? Oh, yeah. Hi, this is Maya Ellen on Doug Ellen's phone. Please leave a message after the beat. Thank you so much for calling and have a great day. At the tone, please I'll record your message. Ma- Go ahead. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. What up? It's 2.44 Tuesday. You're in the cave, and I'm calling you from CBS, Obviously, uh, oddly enough. Um, I got my radio show here, my podcast at CBS, so that's why the number popped up. Um, give me a call. Let's talk single mic. Let's grab a drink at Soho. Let's talk it through. Hope you're well, buddy. Bye. Well, that was nice. Yeah, simple. Uh, yeah, Doug, um, did we talk about this last time, single mic thing? No. Uh, not in depth, but we right. can. Yeah, I mean, the basic gist of my call with Doug is, is, you know, I've known Doug 18 years out here in L.A., and Doug is obviously the creator of Entourage, very smart dude, and we've had our fun and our ups and downs, but Doug, I've always had mad respect for, because while I was going to the clubs and sleeping with girls on random Tuesdays, Doug was fucking typing his little skinny ass fingers away <laughs> on his computer and working, working, working. And he put in hours and hours. And I was there when Entourage, I was with him when Entourage was not going to be a go. And I was there when it was a go. And uh, I, I, I filmed something called Single Mike based on my life. Just a fun little 15 minute thing that Jordan helped produce. And it caught a little fire. And people who have seen it at high levels, like Doug and Stamos and Saget, they're all like, dude, this is a fucking TV show. So I decided that I would roll with Doug on this. And together we're going to take it out and we're going to see what happens with it. It's my Louie. It's my Seinfeld. It's my thing. It's my one chance to get my pure voice out there. So hopefully, you know, Doug's so damn busy. And I'm cool because I'm busy. So, But I want us to just have a plan. I want to get that plan intact. What is it that uh, Doug sees in Single Mike that he really wants to sink his teeth into? Doug says that this is the best thing he's ever seen me do, including both my movies and like all my stand-up that he's watched. He just thinks I found my voice completely <laughs> and that this is a world that he wants to dive into. So he just wants to champion this this TV show. And he just thinks it's hilarious. He just loves my calm style, my reactionary you know, style of, of acting in the in the piece. He loves the characters that surround it. Obviously, there's one dude who's in it who's married named Doug. Huh. Um, it's the, based on the old older Doug, back in the day Doug. 
Um, and he just is all about it. And he came to me and he said, dude, this is a hit. I know this. I want to do this with you. He also came at me kind of hard, like strong, like you're going to listen to me. You're going to wake up at eight o'clock in the fucking morning. This is not, this is to be taken seriously. You got to trust me on this. Let's go. And so, you know, I'm good with that because at the end of the day, I told Doug, Doug, I want to make your life easy on this buddy. I want to make your life easier. I'll take the fucking brunt of the work on this. I will go into the cave, into the trenches, and I will write the shit out of all these episodes, and it, I'll run the show. You know, you just bring your name and your, I need you to godfather me through the first couple episodes and just get this thing up on the board and running. Show me how this train runs, and then, boom, just take a check and go enjoy your life. Like, really, like, he's put in so many years of crazy work, and he's got enough shit on his plate. And to be honest... You know, hopefully there's a network out there that'll just be smart and they'll just go, wow, this is a hit with a guy who's not a star name. You know what I mean? Like if I see another motherfucker, I feel like there's nine actors working. I feel like there's nine people on tele. If I see Seth Rogen and no diss on Seth Rogen. Yeah, you're funny, dude. You're funny. You've been I'm a fan. But like, are you, is there any movie you're not in? You know what I mean? Like, I got, I'll got. go to the comedy store right now and get six of my friends that are as funny as any motherfucker on the planet. I'll put them in a movie. Let's figure out how to market a bunch of people without star quality. I mean, star names. You know what I mean? Like, funny don't cost money, you know? But, yeah. like, the shit is backwards right now. Chemistry is so... Chemistry is everything. It's everything. I mean, you know, and you could speak on this better than I can, but... I'm always enthralled with the story of Animal House, that the only reason that that movie even got made was because Donald Sutherland was in it, you know? That yeah, he was the name. Exactly. He was the name. And that movie is arguably the greatest comedy ever made. Yo, Ivan Reitman still to this day holds a grudge that he did not direct the movie. Really? Yeah, he like fought to direct it, and I think it was John Landis directed yeah. it. And Reitman's still pissed about that shit. Isn't that dope? But yeah, that's one of the greatest movies, and that's that's where my comedy sensibility comes from. The Animal Houses and the Mel Brooks's and the Woody, yeah, and the that's, Woody Allen's. Th that type of comedy's got to come back. Whereas it's like a bunch of motherfuckers that you can't name, but it's the funniest movie in the world. Like, right? You know what I mean? Belushi wasn't a star yet. No, he, you know what I mean? Those were characters, exactly. amazingly written characters that came to life. Why are we in this bullshit where you got to fucking put, you know why? Because of foreign bitch sales. You ever been to a foreign market, like a f sales, like AFM and all that? No. Yeah, it's like a flea market, okay? So basically, we think we're doing some great artwork, and then you take a star on the cover of a thing, and you got a sales agent over there, and he goes to Argentina table, like literally a fucking coffee table. What would you give me? What'd you give me for this? I got the Angelina Jolie. I give you 200000 Great. Write the check. Perfect. Let's go over here to Uruguay. Huh, what do you yeah. got in Uruguay? And it's a fucking flea market for movies. Right. And here you are, or here I am, trying to make some super dope, great shit, and they just want to see a fucking name on the box. You know what I mean? And that's, listen, I can't hate on it, but I could tell you this, if the game changed a little bit to where you were, we were allowed to put just the best players in the game and make the money, I'll be the Billy Bean of making movies. Right. I'll put a bunch of people you never heard of in a movie or a TV show that will be a hit. You know what I mean? And you go fucking figure out how to sell it. 
I, that, let that be your marketing job. And if you want me to get involved in the trailer making and the promotion of it, I'll go old school guerrilla style. I'll fucking hire a bunch of street cats and we'll be peppering your neighborhood with stickers. I don't <laughs> give a fuck. Seriously. I mean, I'm old school like that. I love that. There's, I, I want to do that. I almost called you today and asked you for a thousand a stand up guy stickers. Okay. I'm well, we can, we can make that happen. Um, I just think it's it's such a weird uh, time to be an audience member of entertainment. There's so much coming at you from so many different ways, which is great for the creator of these shows because there's never been more distribution outlets in the history of entertainment than there are today, and that's fantastic. But, I mean, there's a little things get a little bit diluted, and, it, and the strangest thing is, like, people are almost, like, celebrating the bombs like, oh, did you hear about such and such movie? Oh, it tanked. It bombed. Hater. Haterville. Well, what is that? It's what? hater aid. I know, but what is that about? I mean, people don't even understand what a, a triumph it is to make any movie. It's just... It is, man. And people keep saying that to me. They keep saying, like, dude, you made a movie. Do you know how hard that is? And it's hard for me to answer that because when you're in the midst of doing this shit... You don't even think of how hard it is. You're just in oh, it. Oh, yeah. You're just in it looking fucked up. Yeah, we've made two movies together yep. now. And it's... You see me lose 20 pounds both times. But it's it's been so much fun both times. I mean, obviously, when you have more money, it's a little bit less stress. That's just totally. how it works in every business ever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Mike always commands a really light, fun set. I mean, there's all... When you're dealing with 100-plus personalities, 80-plus personalities on a daily basis, there's going to be clashes. I think that, you know, being on a comedy set definitely quells that a little bit. You know, For sure. I'm not super interested in uh in in working on a film that's like the crying game <laughs> then your set becomes the crying game yeah yeah not everyone's crying game. <laughs> it's like a game of crying so i'm not too too interested in that life but you know that's that's what's so amazing and i mean gosh mike can you believe that not only have you created these properties that people can watch and will get to watch and they're on all these different outlets but it's like you have so many horses in the race right now. Yeah. And it's it's almost like a four-quadrant attack. And I'm so happy and honored to be working on everything with you. I want to say that. Thanks, and Jordan. there's, you know, there's like, you know, you talk about the flea market, and it's like, imagine this time next year if one or two or more, and you're the one being like, oh, I got this, and I got this, and I got this. And it's just, you know, whoever's got the shiniest toy... <laughs> I mean, this is just just one uh, big show and tell, and but that's okay because yeah. like if you make the dope content, then that's all that matters. People, that's all I give a fuck, can't about. hate on dope content. That's it. People, that's all people want, and it stinks that it's it's become a little bit of a disappointing culture. I, yeah, but you know what? I'll bring you right back to what you were saying about there's so many distribution outlets now. The irony of that whole thing. Is that yes, there's a thousand distribution outlets, but there's still only eight good quality pieces. So all it does is it makes the marketplace shitty. All, All it does is allow for more terrible shit. Believe me. Mike D said it last night. He said, yeah, there's more outlets, but guess what? You're still listening to Drake and you're still listening to Kanye. 
know right. what I mean? So all these other, you could have a thousand. I don't believe there's a Kanye sitting in a corner somewhere that just isn't getting heard, because if you're get, if you're that dope, put your shit through and it's gonna get to the top. I firmly believe the cream rises to the top, and I'm lucky enough. You know, I'm working with Kanye's camp right now, and we're developing a TV show. And I've said that to his cousin a couple times, and I, I've said like. You know, because we had that debate, you know, because he's a younger dude and he like goes, you know, he checks the internet for who's the hot new dude. Right. And yeah, when you creep up to the millions of hits, it means you're striking a chord. So yes, do pay attention. But, you know, I still think like I was listening to the radio and the DJ's like, next up, this artist got, he has 19, he's got 9 million hits on YouTube and 17 million followers. Check this rapper out, blah, blah, blah. He's the hottest shit on the internet. And he came out, and I listened to his song, and at the end of his song, I said, no wonder he's just the hottest shit on the internet. He's mediocre like a motherfucker. He is not Jay-Z. He is not Kanye. He is not Meek Mill. He is not Drake. He is not Wu-Tang. He was not, you know, Beasties. He was not fucking Eminem. He was not Rakim. I was like, this motherfucker should stay in the internet like, because <laughs> uh, I, you can tell I'm not the greatest ear of all time, but I know I, I could tell when something's dope. You know what I mean? So like it was like this was the most almost dope song I've heard. There's a fracture going on in the in the system of distribution because you, you talk about the internet and how he can have so many hits and be viral and you know he's probably making a killing on the internet because of branding and just just the fact that he's out there and those followers are worth something those the that those impressions are worth something and and they're almost they can be tabulated more easily than say if he was with a, a record label you right. know he he can kind of quantify that so i mean do you think that it's just Can that, you buy followers? Of course. In in every There's single There's got to be some secret shit going on where you can buy followers. But can a label or someone can they prove that you bought the followers or is it, this shit's got to be so cracked now where you can hire some wizard kid and for 80 bucks, 1000 bucks, I want you might get a million for 1000. Here's 5000, give me 5 million views. You know what I mean? That's right. count that's like counter buying counterfeit money. I've seen counterfeit money. I could I could have bought I could have bought fifty thousand for ten thousand ten <laughs> years ago. That's another story. I don't want to tell it right now. <laughs> but it's like it's the same as counterfeit shit. Like yo, you're buying whack shit. You're buying fake shit for a low price. You know what's, There's got to be something like that, man. Because all this motherfucker, all, all these guys can't have you ten know million followers. Wild, and you know, just to uh, talk a little bit about this Kanye thing. That's that's really been amazing to me. So it's almost like the like the freeway was was going towards the networks and then it expanded to cable and I was like this is where all the shows need to go and then people were like oh wait the internet that's streaming we can go to the Netflixes and the Amazon so people started to veer off onto the other freeway and now you're really getting onto the freeway opening up because you've proven that you can make content at a high level and be the leader of an army and now you're taking the red carpet with Kanye into Warner Brothers and beyond. And beyond. I mean, I could talk. I, you know what? I'm free to talk about whatever I want. So I'm going to tell, I'll tell, I'll tell you guys what's up. I got a call like nine months ago, 10 months ago. I got a call from my friend Gary Goldman, who I know through Doug Ellen, through Entourage. And he said, dude, this is going to sound crazy, but Kanye wants to executive produce a TV show. 
and I think you're the perfect dude to meet his camp and talk about being the writer on this. And I said, I'm totally down. And I've always dreamed of writing like a dope ass hip hop show, you know, a comedy set in the world of hip hop about four best friends coming up sort of similar to Entourage, but set it over in Inglewood or wherever we're going to set it. And next thing I know, he sets up a meeting at a hotel with Kanye's cousin and uh, Barry Waldman, who's a producer for Bruckheimer. And I meet them all and we click. We just click. You know, I just clicked. I got it. You know, and they were like, yo, we love Mike. Let's talk about this. And I didn't talk to them for a couple of weeks. I went back in the cave and I wrote up a beat sheet. I wrote up a treatment of how the show that I would like to write, because I can't just grasp at straws. I can only write what I could think I could write. So I wrote a treatment and I gave it to them and they were like, yo, we love this. And next thing I know, they're going and they're getting attached David Nutter, who is the gangster of all gang, who is the Emmy winning director. They call him the pilot whisperer because David Nutter, everything he touches turns to gold and he's so damn cool and he's so fucking smart. He's so smart that it's like one of these dudes, like when you talk to him, when I talk to Nutter, I just know that he's like looking down on me, like in his brain, which isn't true because he actually loves everything I've written for him. Like so far, like in this process, he's just like really on board. But there's like part of me that's like, I'm not at his level of like, he's like a genius dude. And when he talks, he talks like a robot a little bit because he's like so in his brain that he, and he just doesn't miss a beat and there's no like fat in his words. He doesn't say like or uh or mm. I mean, he just goes, this is Mike Young. He's directed two films. He's going to do a great job on our TV show. Welcome to Warner Brothers. Thank you for having us. Go ahead, Mike. You know what I mean? He's on some real business in and out shit. Right. Because he knows how dope he is and at his job. He needs to get back to set. He needs to get back to work. The world needs Nutter. his content. Yeah. Absolutely. And he literally was taking a, like a one hour break from Game of Thrones or whatever, you know, which is what he won the Emmy for. And, and he wants to dive into this world. He's diving. Diving. The, like, the event that we were at last night could have been an episode in this show. Absolutely. And don't, don't think I haven't thought about Rappaport to play the manager of this group. Really? You know, like Mike's, he's older than I've pitched. Like he's, he's older, just an older dude than, I, than the character I've been pitching. Uh-huh. But when I look at Mike, I'm like, this is a motherfucker who... He speaks their language, but he's neurotic enough to be a fish out of water with them. Right. And he could, I could see Rabbit, if, if this character needed to go sign the artist, he'd hop down to a Baptist church, take a wafer in a communion, and fucking faint from a panic attack. <laughs> you know what I mean? And still, and, and he's Jewish, you know what I mean? So he's in the church trying to sign the artist. But I could see Rap pulling off some funny shit like that. Like, yeah. I could see him going to the barbecue in Englewood because he needs the artist to sign and choking on a chicken bone and having to go to Cedar Sinai and wouldn't, you know, needs his personal doctor. Wouldn't that be something if, I mean, you know, the the Mike Young, Mike Rap connection just ends up going down as just like hit, hit, hit of like content, 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 because there's other stories that Rapport would be perfect for too. Basically, everything you create. Rappaport is a, a shoe in for what he does. My and Detroit shit is perfect. He's a he's a muse of yours. He really is, man. Is that weird? Because <laughs> I like I read the history of directors and writers, and a lot of them do have actors that they like to continually work with. Because not every artist has a voice, like a specific voice as a person. Right. Most actors don't have a personality that's that's similar to their character. 
rap's got a voice that you can write towards. You know what I mean? I found. And so, yeah. Plus, you know, I've just always been a fan. And it's oddly enough, we both, like, obviously have, like, that street vibe or whatever. Because I've come off stage before and I've had girls come up to me and be like, do you know Michael Rappaport? I'm like, yeah, why? You remind me of him. (laughs) And, you know, he's been working. Oh, he's he's beloved. He's beloved. Yo, you want to hear something funny? Uh, at the screening of a stand-up guy, uh, I was sitting next to this girl who, like, I'm mean, just side note, she brought like a full dinner. To I this. saw that girl with the to-go box. Yeah, and it was smelled, Styrofoam. smelled great. Did it? I could tell it was heavy. She was having trouble carrying it. Anyway, she's sitting next to me, and when every time Rappaport was on screen, she was like, oh, Rappaport. I love Rappaport. Like <laughs> people, yo, I think I was, love. I think I was wearing an I am Rappaport shirt underneath. I think I'm wearing that right now. This T-shirt is unbelievable. Oh, I have a, sh- a new I am Rappaport. I got shirt one. Oh, you got one last night. Mike gave me. He okay, gave me cool, one. cool, cool, cool. Nice. We should call him. Should we call Rappaport? Yeah, I'll call Rappaport right now. Hold on one sec. We gotta Ep- get Rappaport's number. Episode one hundred and one. I don't know if I want to shock him though. Should I just shock him and tell him I'm not? You know, he he's sensitive. He won't care. Just and if he I'm doesn't like him. it, we'll just stop the recording. I'm but calling him. Michael Rappaport and podcasts go together so well. Boom, 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 boom. What are these numbers? Boom, boom, <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Calling Michael Rappaport. He'll see. Yeah, he'll answer for sure. He sees CBS. He thinks it's a TV show going. He should be on the CBS show right now. I just random call people. <laughs> That's my new thing. Your call has been Damn, forwarded no to an around. automated voice messaging system. I'll try sag it next. Three, two, oh, three, no, no, three, no. seven. Jesus. Only five numbers. All right. Yo, that's how I get fired from everything. You know what I mean? It's like the way I am, like my life has never been perfect. You know what I mean? I've always done shit to fuck things up. In a, you know, I'll, I'll get shit right to the two-yard line and do some dumb shit like that. You know? You know, it's so funny. I need security. <laughs> well, you got a, a CBS pass now. You can get around, get to all the coffee and, you know people that you want they got a whole stable of people back there i saw the sales stable the, some cuties walking around here this whole place is dope i could get real comfortable here i'm well, getting real comfortable permanent spot. i still got a couple papers to sign for you yeah right well can you print that stuff out jordy you know my printer doesn't work yeah we gotta figure that out um yes though a stand-up guy you know so funny everybody's got an opinion in the world you know and after the screening a couple people came up to me they're like yo i loved ethan so please performance i wasn't sure about this dude's performance what about this i love this it's like everyone's got their opinion and i guess that's like the beauty of all this shit is that everybody has an opinion on your art on uh, on whatever they want to have but you know i don't i didn't agree with anybody in the street that had their opinion because i also kind of was looking at some of these people like you are not my comedy meter. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you're not my comedy meter, bro. Like, I look That's at your funny. face and I can tell your muscles don't even go into smiling position. Like, they haven't smiled in 10 years. So, 
it's like the one thing you are never going to be able to debate with me is what is funny. You know, certain people can. And God, I love being around funny people. God, fucking makes life so much more fun. And like the energy is just light. And uh, the screening was dope. But outside, yeah, there was a couple people with a little bit of a darker, a darker energy going on. And I wasn't, they weren't feeling a couple characters, which is fine. Go ahead. At the end of the day, I got to just be able to watch what I made and be okay with it. And are, are there moments that I have little mini panic attacks watching? Absolutely. Hey, if uh, if you don't Absolutely. have haters, you're doing something wrong. No doubt. No doubt. I've had haters. I got haters. I got fucking friends that I think once in a while pop up as haters, which, oh, is, I, which I don't like. I don't like that because I'm not, I've never been a, ha- a hater of friends. Any true friend of mine that was doing well, I fucking got your back, bro. I love that shit because I'm fully okay with it, you know? But you see some of these dudes that's like, you look in their eye, they're just, they're just, you know, I'm like, yo, I sold a show. They're like, that's so amazing. That's so great. But what they're really saying is that's so great. If you would run into a pole on the way to that show, <laughs> oh man, it'd be amazing if that deal doesn't go through. Cool, dude. Hope that check bounce. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey man, that's awesome. Cool. If you can move back to Detroit and get a little more homeless, that'd be awesome. <laughs> you know, motherfuck you, bitch. Lucky I don't slap you. Yeah. I wonder what people do. Especially during the day, like where where are these people? These people come out at night. Get just to a hate. job, <laughs> motherfuckers! With too much free time out here in LA, people have too much free time in this town. This town, it's like just make up a job. You know what I mean? Right. Just do something that keeps you in the house. The you know free what is it? Free time is the devil's playground. I saw someone running on the streets at like eleven a.m. I was like, what are you doing? Eleven a.m. Yeah, that's not jogging time. <laughs> That's either retirement person, you're either retired nope. and you're 80, or you're a trust fund kid jogging, or you just don't have shit going on, man. That's a, that's a good time to not be out running. <laughs> if I had to pick one time in the day to not be running, it'd be 11 fucking a.m. I thought the same thing. You know what I mean? Even better, just be on your couch studying a fucking movie or something. Were uh, there people at the a stand-up guy screening? It's it, we're actually. It seems like we're going backwards. We start at the screening and then we go backwards talk about the movie. We do non-linear <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, were there any, was there anyone at the screening when you saw that they were there? You were like, great. Yeah, I really need to see this person right now. There were a couple like because Danny A, who's the star of my movie, <laughs> who holds the movie down, he's friends with all these club dudes. Right. So, just by nature, the motherfuckers that run clubs, nightclubs, I just don't give them like the comedy pass. You're right. not a funny dude if your life is nightclubs. You probably don't love Woody Allen and Mel Brooks and John Landis and Ivan <laughs> Reitman and John Hughes nope. if you are a nightclub dark draconian animal. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just don't see you going home at 7 a.m. on cocaine and putting on Annie Hall. I just don't see it. So I just Once don't. <laughs> yeah, maybe. No. But I just don't give these dudes comedy passes right. just by nature. And listen, I could be judgy. I could be wrong. I just by nature don't give you a fucking comedy pass because your life is about the cool people. And guess what ain't funny? Cool people. They're not fucking funny. It's I could be a fly on the wall in a nightclub and I've been in a thousand of them and I could make some funny shit out of what's happening in there. But usually the people in there, they don't have like a comedy bone. And that's me passing judgment, but I'll bet $1,000 right now if we brought 10 of them in here, nine of them would not be funny. You might find one random like hot chick that just got lucky (laughs) with funny. 
and she might be cool. Actually, actually, I think I know her. I think uh, I think I saw her Tuesday. I think she called me up on drugs at nine forty in the morning. I thought she got a good night's sleep. No, she was just wiping cocaine off her teeth. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a different type of weekend. Totally. Yeah, yeah. But no, I don't. There were a couple people. I won't name their names, but let's right. just say they're in the club world. So when I saw them there, I was like, "This is two motherfuckers and, that are not gonna laugh." And on the flip side. Uh, were there people there that when you saw them, you were like, oh, I'm so glad they came. And, Fuck yeah. And uh, how did they feel after the movie when you talked to them? So glad Kevin Connolly came. Connolly is right. somebody who I see eye to eye with on comedy because he's a laugher and he also understands the rhythm of comedy. And he's funny as shit when he talks just in general. Yeah. Yeah. And he's somebody that I always respect his 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 humor game. Um. My boy Chuck, who I've been friends with for so damn long, I'm cool with his humor game because he himself is just a funny person. He's not a big laugher, but he actually dug it, so I was real happy about that. And I got to step on my own toe because the one dude who did work at a club, um, Enil, who runs the club, he runs One Oak. Right. He's the dude. And he actually is an actor. Right. You know, and I wanted to get him in the movie because he's actually a talented actor. Oh, you did in, in a stand-up guy? I wanted to get him in. You know, I just couldn't get him out to New York and the schedule just what didn't work out. What would you have had him play? I could have given him one of the motorcycle gang dudes. Right. Even though everybody was still solid. I, obviously, he ain't fucking with Jay Ferguson. That's Jay Ferguson. Killed it. He killed it, yeah. Killed it. Mm -hmm. He got crazy great reviews. Um, but he could have played a side dude and I would have written, I told Danny straight up like, yo bro, I'll write him a couple of jokes, a couple, I'll write a couple of lines for him. Right. We're not flying anybody out for $3,000. And I'm like, yo, it's your boy. Yeah. So I couldn't get him in. We recorded him for a scene in single mic, like one, totally. of, the, one of the outtakes. He'll, he'll have his day with us for sure. Nice guy. Good baller too. Good baller, which takes him to another level with us. Mm -hmm. Real nice guy. And he gave me a really dope compliment after. And he was like, dude. That writing, he just loved my writing. He loved it. And he huh. recognized the little minutia of the things that we were doing. I heard that, yeah. Yeah, so he was just like, are you kidding me with Rappaport sneezing with, against Ethan Suplee? That's one of the fun. Are you kidding me? And he wouldn't. And then I saw him at One Oak the next night because I went out. <laughs> and he gave me so much love. He like hopped a booth, walked along a plank, crossed in front of a DJ, <laughs> One moved two hookers out of the way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Knocked over a vial of cocaine and came over to me and just Hug the shit out of me. The tightest space club of all time. Yeah. Los Angeles. Yo, I took, so in single mic, Mo Mandel, the comedian, he's in it and he plays Doug, my married neighbor. And I took Mo to One Oak. Mo's never been to a club <laughs> like that. He's never been. And he's like going through like a single time and he's like, I don't know what to do, man. I'm trying to date and I'm fucking up. I just don't know. I said, you know what, Mo? I'm going to take you to a club right now, and I'm going <laughs> to freak you out, bro. I'm going to show you a time, and you're just going to go have a great time. You turn your brain off. No, I, I don't know. I can't go. I don't know, man. You know, these places are so loud, and they're crazy. They're, oh, I'm never going to get in. I'm like, my boys own it. You're getting in, and you're going to get in in a way that you can't believe you just got in. I take his ass to One Oak, the fucking C's part, the door's open, you know, the doorman's like, Mike Young, what up? Boom. I see my boy Stefan. He takes us all the way back through the dance floor, through the velvet ropes, and I put Mo in a VIP section, <laughs> and there's literally 15 of the finest girls, because a lot of my boys were in Vegas, so they weren't even there. And I put him in a motherfucking booth, and it was model night, and Mo was just like... 
He's for some reason he's like not drinking, but I think he ordered a drink. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's smoking a Parliament. I, I've never seen the guy smoke a cigarette in his life. He's getting a phone number from a hot chick, so he just was like. Mike, I cannot even believe what's going on right now, bro. Thank you so much. <laughs> I was like, Mo, just enjoy it, buddy. And then my girl, who's not my girl, but like this girl who I know, she's, you know, all over me, gacked out of her mind. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who knows what six pills and four different drugs she's on. Yeah. All she could do is smile and not talk, which is my favorite. <laughs> and then she just hang, she hung out with us for a while, and then I safely got Mo out. Back to the comedy store. I'll talk to you later, Mo. And of course, in perfect single Mike fashion, he hits me up at 10.30 in the morning the next day. He's like, this girl never called me back. <laughs> I said, Mo, give it till 5 o'clock today, bro. 3 o'clock rolls around. What should I do? Should I text her again? Here's what I texted her the first time. <laughs> and he sent me the text. I said, you know what? Just do a funny text. Just give her like a funny little text and just say, sounds great. You know what I mean? Be facetious. And he's like, good, good, good idea. Great idea. All right, I'll, I'll hit you back. So it's been a day. I haven't heard back from Mo. <laughs> but uh, it was just, you know, I, li I like taking people who are fish out of water and putting them in a, in just a shark tank. Yeah. I you mean, know? That's... And One Oak is a shark tank. And that DJ, I forgot his name, but he was so dope that night. Man, I, I got to get his name. That was That DJ had it going on. Nice. Those are the best nights when you're just unexpected flowing. flow. Yeah. You know, and it was just I was slow sipping 1942. They had my shit and I was just feeling great. Yeah, when you're doing too much in Los Angeles, it doesn't really work out for you. You just got to let it come. Let it come. If I right, if it, speaking from a point of view of somebody who's done every single thing that you can do in the night world <laughs> at, at night in LA, let it come to you. Don't rush out into the clubs. Don't rush to go get here. Start slow. Go into an Irish pub. Pony up to the bar. Have a couple drinks. Take some deep breaths. You know what I mean? Check your breath at all times and just let shit come to you because the quicker you dive out into the world, the quicker that world will eat you. <laughs> you know? So just slow it down, playboy. You just got here. Absolutely. We could teach a we could we could, we I could teach a nightclub class, <laughs> you know what I mean? Nightclub one hundred and one. That would be so funny. That'd be a great episode of Single Mike. Yeah, my cousin comes out or something. He comes to visit. <laughs> and I got to teach him the nightclub game. Yeah, you know. First of all, change those shoes. All right, put a fucking hat on because your fucking gelled hair went out in ninety seven. <laughs> you know what I mean? We come in. Yeah, tip the guy. Just give him a twenty. Don't look at him again. Now you're good on this rope. Walk with me all the way through. Don't, I got this guy. Don't worry. We know him. Come inside and just act like you got a secret. Just <laughs> sit back and don't say anything for 40 minutes. Just assess the room and see what happens. You know what I mean? Oh. And, this, and when the girl comes over to start talking to you, don't try to out-talk the music because you ain't going to get that loud. She's only yeah. going to just pick a very few words that are important button words. <laughs> just pick your button words and then at some point pull your phone out and just say, what's your number? Right. And collect a couple numbers because you can meet her again in the quiet. Right. You know, I love those nights where it's just like collecting number night. <laughs> you know, you like stack your shit up for the summertime. You're like a phone book. Oh, you're, you're storing for the winter. I'm storing. I'm storing. <laughs> God, am I going to get a girlfriend? <laughs> I, I almost have one, I feel like. Wow. I don't know which one. I don't want to say her name, but it's like I've been hanging with this girl who's so damn mellow. She's like scaring me. You know what I mean? She's like too cool. I'm like, bitch, are you cooler than me? 
Like, don't try to out-cool me. I'm the cool one. <laughs> She's cooler than me. I'm like, I've never seen a girl, like, ask less questions. Right. This bitch doesn't care what I do. <laughs> I'm like, you got a second family? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's the quiet ones you have to watch out for. Man, then she told me she had a full scholarship academic to Rutgers. When she, you know, if that's where she went to school. Double intimidation. I'm like, yo, I barely got through Arizona University. How am I going to talk to this girl? I should just get her pregnant. <laughs> She's got a great face. This kid would be unbelievable. This kid with her fucking stunning blue eyes and a built-in tan. This girl is a stunner. Yeah, yeah, I believe I know who you're referring to. So it's uh, it's it's a good time to be in Los Angeles, I think. I'm- it's a good time to be in L.A., but it's going to be a great time to go back home for the holiday. Go, you know... Thanksgiving's coming up. I talked to my cousin today. The day after Thanksgiving, I'm doing a show at the Chicago Theater with Sebastian. So my family's a little bummed out that I'm going to miss like our early Hanukkah party (laughs) because we always do like a big family thing right after. I'm bummed out too, but I'm just going to go make a little money and do a big show and have fun. And Chicago's only a 40-minute flight, so it ain't shit. So... It'll be fun. That'll be cool. It'll probably be a big room. Big room. 700-seat theater. Or 800. Chicago theater's big. Cool. Love Chicago. Love Chicago. Love Sebastian. Didn't Sebastian have a special in Chicago? Yeah, he did. His Showtime special, I believe, was shot in Chicago. Um, Yo, you know, I, I'm unmanageable. <laughs> you know, I left those managers. Yeah. I had a manager... Sebastian's man, the same people that his company that manages Sebastian, you know, I had so much, I was getting overwhelmed, like writing and juggling my shit that I thought to myself, I needed a manager. I just thought maybe I need a manager, but I didn't need a manager. I really didn't need a manager. And so I just signed on with these people and it was kind of like, just nothing was happening. You know what I mean? Like when I first met with them, I was like, great. If I'm going to be writing, I'd love to be in a hotel room in every different city every week. Book me as a headliner, and I'll write in the hotel room, and I'll make money, and that'll be your job. And then I can bring you in on some of my other projects, and we'll start to work together. They were unable to book me as a headliner, which I understand because I am no name. I do not have a draw. Mike Young's name does not fill seats except in Detroit in my neighborhood. (laughs) And Tempe, Arizona, where I've been 20 times and maybe some other places. But I just, you know, I don't have a special to where my name is like drawing people. So I totally understood it. And after like a month and a half, I just, I emailed them and I just said, this probably comes as no surprise, but this unfortunately is just not working out. Thank you guys so much for the work you've put in. And I left and I have no manager and I couldn't be in a better position because I mean, Jordy, from the outside of that type of situation, looking in, is a manager going to help me right now? Like, I feel like I need more of like a producing partner. You know what I mean? Like, unless it was like a manager who produces, like a Dave Becky, who's like a beast in the comedy world. What am I doing? I need, I don't know. I, I, maybe I just don't need anything other than, you know, a couple million for Redleaf to start paying a full staff. Just to keep cultivating projects. And Cultivate then, projects and be able to pay everyone fairly who's working around And me. then there would be like uh, an around the year type thing. Because let's say you have more than one show going based on what is uh, transpiring right now. Then it's the type of thing where it's like a seasonal 
thing like oh you, you know having development going on for the next season and then you know coming to shoot this season of this and it's like you know because what's really cool about uh the projects that you've been talking about uh throughout the show so far is uh that they all take place in uh you know different climates different climates in terms of where they could be shot but also uh climates in terms of socially in the decades and and just the 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 periods that they exist can, yeah they can exist so it's it's almost as though you can kind of shift gears from one thing to the next obviously you know the uh the hip hop and single mic those are based in Los Angeles Detroit that's a Michigan tale that would be a beautiful life right there. If we were shooting Kanye and we were shooting single mic in L.A., back to back, you know, 10 week, 10 week, right. boom, and then jump to Detroit to shoot Detroit piece, right. you know, for 10 weeks. So that's, you know, 30 weeks and I got tw- I'd take 20 weeks of off or I'd take 10, 10 weeks of full editing at the tail ends or whatever, right? Even and though, even though that you know, I'd be editing along the way, but like I would love to take 10, 12 weeks off after a run. Yeah, like that. and then I mean, you can. There's like a, a production of a movie that you know that could take. You know, it's kind of like an alternating thing. I mean, you've got two films that take place in New York. You got the gangster one, and then you've got the uh, the Queens project. Yep. Um, that both you know could be interchangeable in any of those slots um i mean the vegas project is still kicking around totally still going exactly so it's a type of thing where it's like you know it's it's almost like you're playing a, a game on the price is right and you're like moving the numbers like there's no real wrong answer it's just a matter of whatever is the match at that particular time whatever's going on and that's what's been so exciting uh, working with you and, uh, you know, because not only is there a lot of potential about the things that we've been doing in the development of these projects for, and I know you've been developing them for year, for years, year, for 15, 20 years. I can only speak on the last three, Yeah, but the, like, just the fact that, like, these stories are on the cusp of being told yep. at a high level and it's 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 really great that we have this uh this podcast to talk about this because you know and I I get it no one really cares about the process they only want to see what ends up on the screen but you know it's it's a it's kind of the wild west out there right now yeah. and you're proving that you are a, a cowboy a, a cowboy <laughs> A, a, cow, a content cowboy. Content cowboy. Yeehaw! <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, so funny, man. Film, TV, podcasting again. I mean, people really love uh, the first intonation of uh, the podcast. For those that don't know, uh, open mic with Mike Young. Can we re-release those under we our have banner that. here? Of course we can. I still have those files. We can release those. Those episodes are cool. Um, I was thinking that we release um, the first tier of episodes mm-hmm. that we've already recorded, and then we uh, we assemble the uh, the episodes that we already had, and we release those at the same time to make like another binge effort. Yeah. So it's like the, you know the the build up and the prequel, right? But yep. and then in the meantime, we stack the new content. We stack the guests. We yep. stank. Well, we stack the. Stank, we stank. We stank. We stack the uh, the content that's actually 
being made because like it's you know it's fun to talk about these things but it's even more fun when the, when this type of conversation becomes the behind the scenes on a DVD or a Blu-ray or for sure you know so want to call Kanye's cousin yeah 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 do it yeah keep going I'm not cutting you off I just want to, I, I like what you're saying though I'll, yeah it, it's just I, I'm very excited this is like what I always hoped was going to happen. Um, just in terms of really being able to, to create content and, you know, film, film was what I moved out here for, but obviously film and television are one and the same these days. Um, in, in my opinion, just because a se- a, a, a television show is really just per season, a, f- a 13 hour movie, which is excellent. And, you know, there are films that, that just stand the test of time that you can watch over and over and over again. And, and Absolutely. And television, I mean, to, con- to have it's the continuation the, of these characters, I mean, in a sense, it's, it's almost greater storytelling than filmmaking, but it's like, you know, saying, do you love apples or do you love oranges? You know, you, you love them both. You love them, you know, maybe one a little bit more than the other, but they're both good for you. Yo, they're both great for you. Yeah. Meanwhile, my internet thing isn't really fully working in here, and um, it's not fully working, so I'm trying to call... Let me let me call Ricky. Right now, I'm going to try to call Ricky Anderson, who runs Kanye's life. I shouldn't have given his full name, but that's just what we do. Accident, we just do shit accidentally. Um, let me see what this number is. Pop, 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 pop. I just call him the real Ricky. Bang. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a real good dude. So let me see what. How do you view a whole number? Interesting. Okay, we're gonna call him. Actually, maybe I'll just call him from here. Put him on speaker here. I'm going speaker room. Cause I can't. I can't view his whole number. Calling him. We're gonna talk about Kanye show a little bit. had a baby oh congratulations it'll be a running bit that everyone you call never picks up <laughs> I literally don't have anybody's true phone number I'm sorry but the person you called has a voice mailbox that has not been set up yet Jesus he doesn't even have a voice box he doesn't need one real interesting oh well I was trying to call my boy just to go over a couple things about the show. We're pitching, we start pitching HBO, Showtime, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, all next week. So it's going to be a very, very interesting thing. What is it like to go uh, into that pitch process? Fine, I, I've seen you do it for uh, for a couple of shows now, but I mean, this one in particular seems like it has just a very strong foundation behind it. And, yeah, and it's it's it being a more modern story, and obviously it it taking place uh, in the city that you're pitching it in. Yeah, it just seems like there's there's elements in play that that can be combustible. So, for you, what's this process like, and what's the pitch process like for you in general? 
this process has been super collaborative because Kanye's cousin is an insider of the insiders. So he has knowledge in the music world that I could never have, you know, so I pick his brain and he gives me the minutia and just little fun stories about him and Kanye when they were coming up and just like the, the cool, funny fish out of water shit, like going to Japan for the first time and didn't know how to use chopsticks. You know what I mean? Or like when John Legend was just their keyboard player before he was famous and he was getting hammered and they'd find him in the hotel room sleeping at 11.30 a.m., <laughs> you know? And like, yo, you got to wake up, you know? And just all the fun on the road show, like there's like the minutia that he brought to the table. But the process for the pitch for me is like a very organized, structured process. So I try to like open up with the world and I just basically kick it to the world like... You know, hip hop is a culture. It's a movement. It's you know, it's comprised of cliques and cliques all over the country. And whatever part of the country you're from, represent it. It represents your style. And you know, hip hop is a style. And this is really the story of four best friends and the you know their journey from the bottom to the top as they make it in the rap game. And our style, you know, our, our rapper style is like fly on the wall, you know what I mean? As opposed to where Snoop was like a gangster and 50 Cent's a gangster and Eminem's hardcore white boy. This is more Kendrick Lamar, like sits back, observes the world around him and spits the illest shit because he's so smart and dope, you know? And it's him and his crew as they make it from the bottom to the top. So I kick it with the world and then I say, yo, let's now let's meet our characters. And I go through five, six main characters. And I go through all the, you know, the rapper and his producer and his homies. I go through their whole clique. So I paint them as a family. And then I go into, you know, the dude that manages them, who we were talking about, like a Rappaport or a Jonah Hill type. And I play out the whole, all the characters. And then I say, in the pilot episode, when we meet so-and-so, boom. And I drop the pilot episode on them. And I give them like four or five beats in the pilot. And then if they want to know more and how that the show has legs, I go into things like, in the second season, he's got a hit song. Hit song takes him to the next level. That hit song creates antagonism from another rapper who's got beef with him. Now he buries him in the same style that Drake buried Meek Mill. You know, in the third season, now he's blowing up even bigger and he just won Artist of the Year. And now he's on the Artist of the Year shit. And now there's girls coming at him and someone's pregnant. You know what I mean? So I go, I just paint the picture and I keep it organic so nothing's forced or any bullshit. This is all real shit based on real shit. I've, you know, I mean, I've been, I've been fucking looking up. Jay-Z, Nas, Kanye, Kendrick. I'm looking up all their biographies just to make sure all my shit is authentic. And I just take it and I just paint the picture. And if they're smart, and, and then at the end I go, I don't know if you guys ever heard of Kanye West or David Nutter, but the, I'm basically sitting on an all-star team right now and we're happy to be in business with you guys if you want to do our show. Yeah, you're just drilling your bank shot. They're just leaving you wide open and you're just drilling your bank shot. Because they're the... The, the heavy hitters, you know, like Kanye's driving to the hole, Nutter's in the post. Just Nutter's like, posting up like yeah. Barkley in his heyday. Kanye's <laughs> fucking running around like Chris Paul mixed with Allen Iverson. You know what I mean? Fucking shaking it up. Ricky's the in, got the inside game, doesn't miss an eight-footer. You know what I mean? And I'm just fucking, I'm sitting at the end of the bench just coaching and telling you how the shit's going down. Right, and then you, you come in, you're like the captain of the team, and you're like Tim Duncan just banking shots from 16 feet away. Just banking them. Yeah, just banking them, literally banking shots. So, and I'm and wearing a suit. You know what I mean? Just I'll suit it up. Um, 
but that's really how it goes down. You know what I mean? So if that makes sense, that's, that's kind of, I try to go in just organized. I bring a couple pages of notes, just beats, and I look at everybody in the room and I just make it exciting and fun because there's no rules, man. There's no rules. Some people, you know, people go in with sizzle reels. Some people go in with charts. I'm going in with a fucking painting, a verbal right. picture. They They're already... lucky I don't rap. I would come in and rap the whole thing. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I know you would. And I was going to open up to the meeting. I was going to say, just so you know where I'm from, and I was going to give them some humor because there's comedy involved, but I was going to say, listen, I'm from Detroit. I was in a rap group. Very short-lived. <laughs> Somebody pulled a gun, scared my DJ into doing bar mitzvahs. The shit was over. I'm just going to paint it with jokes. Right. But this is the show I want to tell you, and here it is. And then I, boom, I roll right in. So. Right. And let me let's let's do a little bit of just, you know, thinking forward. Let's just say, you know, and I hope this happens that one of the the networks that you pitch to is like, yes. Yep. Then so, you want to know the next step? I want to know what you would, you know, what you would do right away. If you got the yes on this particular project, because and and for all the projects and and getting to talk about all of these projects is is a lot of fun, but like we're coming to the point that it's like the light the lights are about to turn on in the stadium, uh-huh. you know, and the crowds filing in. Uh-huh. So like, let's just say you hit one, you might hit more than one home run out of the park. It's very. If someone says yes, I literally first I go home. I go. I celebrate with the fellas, like the guys that just did this. I go out. We have a little chill cocktail. We have a drink. Um, I put my producer people on on blast, and I say, just think about our staff. If we're getting picked up for more than one episode, let's start to look and read writers. But my first job priority will be to write the pilot. So I will go home and start to craft what I think is the illest, dopest pilot, which I've kind of already beat out in my mind and sort of on the page. So my f- job number one, because that's the way the deal is, is I will write the pilot episode. But I'm dreaming that they're going to say, yo, we want to give you a 10-episode pickup, Mike. Go. And then I'm in the writer's room, and I'll write the pilot episode anyway. But I'm in there. I'm, I'm, I got the whiteboard up, and I'm like, episode two, episode three. And I want to chart this shit out with a cool little staff that I click with. And do it exactly how Doug did it on Entourage. And then we're casting. And we are literally, it's just like making a movie every week, you know? I'm just, we're going to find our cast of dope actors, and uh, it'll be a super exciting time. And I'll take it like a pro. I won't, you know, some showrunners, it's a heavy job. Heavy, 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 heavy. Because you got millions on your shoulders. But you also got tons, it's a lot of time. But I feel like this is a world that I could just kind of, I could write it. And I won't be killing myself. You know what I mean? I, I, I'll i have fun writing this. Yeah, and it, it's definitely a very natural fit for you being here for 15, 16 years. You've seen and done so much and have had a lot of artist moments and interactions yourself. Um, I had Ever, Everlast pulled a knife on me when I first moved here. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I looked down, there was a shank in his hand. I was like, relax, bro. I'm a Jew. You're an Irishman. We both are immigrants. Exactly. Well, let me, let me ask you, are there already locations that like over the course of your years living here that you were like if I ever have the opportunity I will film here I will create a scene or 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 like a portrait here like 
Um, when I first came here and I was doing music, because what that's true story, I was involved in hip hop shit. I was recording down where DJ Quick records down on Crenshaw and Seventy Third in a studio, right? And the studio was just dope. You know what I mean? It's you know it's a studio, so it's like there's, it's got this type of vibe, but it's you know you got the dudes behind the board, you got the chicks in the corner smoking some weed, you got the homie on the microphone, you know, doing his thing in there. You got a backup singer on the couch waiting to sing the chorus. So you know, I would love to go to a dope ass LA studio and write you know just write some great stuff in there you know and w let people see how the craft is done um obviously when things get better for our team we'll take them out to one oak we'll take them mm -hmm. to my boys clubs you know we'll get them clubbing in the booth right which i think is just a fun place for everyone to go and it's you know a, a club represents a town a club represents a country and every booth is a city so i want to kind of kick that vibe off of like you got the fucking hoods in this booth you got the athletes in this booth you got the white boy rich motherfuckers in this booth you got the 15 models and one promoter in this booth you know i want to paint the picture right give people an inside inside you know look entourage did it better than anybody I love that so show. we're just going to do it with the music business you know and different you know there's so many different music clicks I got to just make my my crew real cool, you know, and I want to make them cool, smart with a little bit of edge. They're not the they're not gangster Mac 10 old school MC8 Snoop Dogg crew. They're a Kendrick type of crew, and you know. I'm sure that they can run into those type of crews. They will run into them and they'll fucking and there will be a Suge Knight type of dude in my series who comes and says, "Yo, homie, you're going to get on this track." And they're like, yo, and, and our guy, you know, our Davis is going to go, you got to give my boy some money. And he's like, <laughs> give us some money. I'll kidnap you right now and drive you around the, you know, you're going to get driven around the neighborhood until you just say no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but I'm going to make, it's a comedy. Yeah. So I, I got to keep it dope, keep it, keep it gangster, but keep it comedy. You know what I mean? So I'm kind of pitching it almost as a half hour modern day comedy version of Straight Outta Compton. Huh, right. I mean, if I got to use a hook line for it. Something like that. Yeah. You know, because that's what it is. It's a crew of dudes going from the bottom to the top and their journey with their manager. So it's 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 almost so simple that it's too good to be true, but it's it's that's why it's dope. It's so, I mean, Los Angeles to me, I feel like is underutilized today in film and television. It used to be, obviously, like Tinseltown. Everything was made here. Now, totally. You'd see movies in the 60s and they were hanging at the farmer's market. Exactly. And, and, and I mean, obviously, films have spread all over the United States and the world for you know mostly financial reasons. Um, the thing that always struck me about Los Angeles, and I'm sure you're going to you know touch upon this in you know in the Kanye, but also in Single Mike, is that you know Los Angeles is like a, a city that sneezed and just like landed everywhere. And you can't get places unless you have a car. Totally. That's another great, great analogy. And like, I mean, for me growing up in, in New York, I mean, I grew up at, at just outside of New York City and my parents worked there. So just like New York is just so clustered and you can get to, from point A to point B. I mean, the Manhattan Island is not that big, whereas Los Angeles is sprawling. And it's just, it, it opens up such an opportunity to meet so many different characters who may not cross paths for a very long time. Like, you even talk about, like, the club world, like... Oh, yeah. You only see those people in the club. You ever see those people out? Like in, No, they in, vanish. Yeah. <laughs> they don't, they're not human. They vanish in the day. 
<laughs> but no, you're uh, that's that's a great um, th- that's a that's a true true statement. You know, like I, that's why I want to see like where do these people live. But like the difference between us and Entourage, you know, I don't want my guys to be large in the first episode. Right. So, you know, I want to get them going in the first season, but because you know because they're you know the humor. There's going to be some real comedy in being neighborhood movie stars before they become super, super star, superstars. You know what I'm saying? I, like, I, I like that. I've always liked that because Entourage, for, you know, that, that started in, what, 2003? Yeah. I mean, so the run that Entourage had, it was just a, a, a time where, you know, it was before there was any talk of a recession or anything like that. So Entourage was a little bit of like a bright wish. Light. Yeah, bright light, wish fulfillment show. Big time. Now, like, you know, since since we've, you know, come, I mean, what did Entourage in 2010? Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're now five, six years removed from that. And it, it's like, you know, now everyone got knocked down. And yeah, people were coming back. And, and you had said this to me uh, when we were hanging out the other day. That I'd like to bring up uh, talking about the anti-hero. You yeah. know how uh, you know that's that's really where you know television has gone to. And I mean, of course, villains or those who have you know kind of the Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde have always been great in literature and film and television. Um, but there is something special in terms of to like the present day where you get to see someone you know rise from the ashes. And yeah, yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's 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 a that's a good take on that. So it is going to have a different vibe, especially because these dudes are living in Inglewood, you know, and I want it to have like that cool neighborhood stand by me vibe. You know what I mean? Like these are best friends in the hood, you know, in the neighborhood. I don't want to call it a hood because Inglewood's kind of pretty and it's a great neighborhood. Uh, there's a, it's a great area, but I'm just saying like, these are dudes that live on the same street and they're like coming up and they're like little superstars on the block and they're superstars at the neighborhood, you know, at the restaurant, you know, and they're starting to come up and I just want to do that journey from the bottom to the top. And I don't want to blow it up too quick. Right. You know, because it's like in music, if you did blow up quick, you're gone. You now you're in Japan doing a show. Right. I so mean, I got to keep them in LA for a minute. And it's, it's almost like a, like a modern day. Uh, and obviously, it's, this is a parallel type universe. But Goodfellas, getting to watch like the boys from the neighborhood growing up together, coming up and seeing them kind of transform into something bigger than they ever could have believed that they they could be. And, For sure. For sure. And I want my crew to like discover talents. Like I was watching this documentary the other day on Muscle Shoals, the um, the studio outside Alabama where all the greatest people recorded. And there was this one story that I thought was so dope that the roadie for Leonard Skinnerd, nobody knew he was a concert, he was a classically trained piano player. <laughs> so this motherfucker is the roadie. And before they do the song Freebird, he goes and he plays this in- this intro to Freebird, <laughs> and the whole band is freaking out. And I think that's a dope moment for me. Like I want one of our friends, one of our leads friends. To be like a dope keyboard player and like nobody knew how good he was and all of a sudden one day in the studio, bam, now the band's coming together even more. You know what I mean? Now the crew's coming together because he could lay keys, other guys DJing and laying beats, homeboy's the rapper, and the other kid is just, you know, comic relief. And that's important because like as as much as you want to follow the story of the main, main character all the time, like it's not realistic to have our guy like always in 
you know, strife. There's times that he's going to be sitting by the pool and not much is going on. He's going to smoke a blunt, relax, and write in his notebook while his homeboy, you know, just got a girl pregnant down the street. Right. You know what I mean? We're going to, we're going to let the tentacles fly. And that's relatable. And that's, and to me, characters, storytelling, so much is about, you know, crafting characteristics where you either relate to that character or someone you know relates to that character. Absolutely. And all you could do, you can't think about your, you you know, I've had people be like, you got to think about the audience. No, you don't. That's not how you work. You work through your gut and you hope that you connect to an audience. You can't write, I can't write from your point of view. You know what I mean? I can't write like, well, I wonder what the audience will think of this guy. That's just not how it works. You got to write from the inside out. Um, Yo, Jordy, we've been rocking and rolling for almost two hours, hour and 46 minutes, something like that. Um, I think it's, we're going to have to, we're going to wrap this one up. We talked about a lot. Yeah. We covered a lot of ground. It's an evolution. I think that it's, it's good to have check-ins about these things and, you know, you're going to be, you know, uh, back in the spot maybe once or twice before getting out of town. Mm-hmm. So it's, I'll be here next Tuesday for sure. So it'll be, uh, it'll be good to, for, for the, uh, the crowd to see where everything is coming full circle. Yeah, and hopefully everybody just enjoys, you know what I mean? I'm going to start opening, you know, knowing that I'll be in this studio on Tuesdays at 2, I'm going to start to open this thing up to some phone calls, and I'm going to let people call in instead of me just calling everyone that's not home. (laughs) But this is Mike Young, stories that need to be told, and we're just kicking it. That's Jordy Winter, Jordan Winter, if you're his relative's. Yeah, Jordy. No one ever called me Jordy until I moved to Los Angeles. And then everybody called him Jordy. And that's cool with me. Yeah. Um, thanks, Jordan. Anytime. Good buddy. day. We'll see. Let's get those notes on Bolivia. Hell yeah. I've, I'm excited. This is a story that needs to be told and just throw it onto the pile because those those gentlemen and Katarina, they're amazing. So Absolutely. I'm you on will, it. Yeah, you will all follow the progress. 